Welcome to Let's Continue the Conversation. Some conversations are inherently difficult to have, especially when they involve race, diversity, and inclusion. I'm Lizzie Morris, and along with my dear friend and co-host, Trisha Broderick, we're here to continue these conversations. We want to see our corporate spaces all over the world be truly inclusive. But for that to happen, everybody needs to be recognized as beautiful in their own right. I am a beautiful person. You are a beautiful person. Let's continue the conversation until the whole world understands this. It starts here, one conversation at a time. Let's connect so that we can collaborate to bring about the necessary change to make our world a beautiful place for all humans. If you are finding yourself motivated and inspired, learning something new, or a fan of the show, let us spread the message together. Help us to do that by screenshotting this episode, add it to your Insta stories and tag us at Let's Continue the Conversations. And on Twitter, tweet away, Let's Continue the Conversations and tag us there. It's time to continue the conversation. Let's get started. So we had a conversation on one of my really crappy days. And when I say crappy days, a day I was feeling really emotionally overly vulnerable and I I didn't have much articulation going to really be able to put things into boxes or make it make sense. And um, I said some crazy stuff in the conversation. And of course, Trisha's like, we should do this. We should take this conversation and we should take it out there. One of those Trisha moments. And I'm like, okay, Trisha, you know, you're just too crazy, right? Not taking this whole conversation out there. But then the day I had my brain working, we had another conversation that day. And I thought, you know, maybe it would be a good idea because people can see the different viewpoints. So she's on one side of the road and I'm on the other side of the road and we can help people to see it. And then we went into our agilistic selves and started to articulate the things that were going on through an agile point of view. And when we did, we're like, well, look, our whole thing is about inspecting and adapting. So why don't we be an example of how you can inspect and adapt and not like beat yourself up about what you're feeling, experiencing or not feeling because people are in that space to where you don't know what to feel. So I won't feel anything kind of just to help people navigate. And what I was very cautious about was, okay, if I do this, what is it going to pigeonhole me? Is there going to be some box that people put around me because I start having this conversation? So there were lots of other things I had to think about when we decided we were going to move forward with this. But the key thing we both came into alliance on was this. We want the conversation to keep going. And we believe the most powerful conversation that's going to make lasting change is corporate conversations. So we're not mitigating what people are doing on the streets or anything like that. But at the end of the day, the people who pay lobbyists are large organizations. So we want real change to happen when it goes out of the media's point of view and the media's going somewhere else, the conversation must continue. So if we can keep the conversation continuing in the corporate space as corporate people, because that's where we live and we thrive, we believe lasting change can happen. So that's why we've decided to really do this. It's not just about this conversation. It's that the conversation keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. And especially if we can engage our community, you know, all the agile people like us and scrum people, we're people of action. We do, we disrupt and we're courageous about disruption. We cause pain, um, but in a good way. And yeah, and we didn't, as we were talking through this, there was an element of like, we didn't want it just to be event session. We know that this is hard. We know that these conversations are hard and challenging. And in some ways, we've been taught not to have the conversations, especially in the corporate world. So when we were thinking about how we wanted to do this, we wanted to be able to be a little vulnerable and and share, right, and what we're experiencing and things. And then how we actually, as an example, have some of these conversations and then also giving tips um, and scenarios. So I would love to tell everybody that we're like, we thought through every angle. Of, no, we're just going to be genuine and, <laughs> and really kind of just go with this. And hopefully it will be valuable to other people. If not, we may have just taught a lot of people to avoid us. I don't know. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. 
Now, I think it's fair to say also that we have an advantage. And, and that advantage in this is these are not new conversations for us. Actually, when did we meet? How long have we known each other? When did Scrum at Scale start? That's where we met. We bumped into each other at Denver Scrum at Scale with Dean. Oh, it's no, it was the SPC stuff. It was, the yeah, track. right. So that's got to be, what's that, five, <laughs> five, six years ago? I had that yeah. blasting headache Maybe the whole home. time. Oh, someone's letting us know it was 2015. Oh, it was 2015. <laughs> Thank you so much, Carol. So we've, we, we have an advantage in that, A, we've known each other a really long time. B, in our relationship, we have talked about a lot of topics over, <laughs> over the years, and these are not the first racial conversations we've had just this month. Where was the last Scrum Gathering? We actually, a bunch of us got together. Last year? Was, was it, it was last year because we, we did that meetup thing afterwards. Yeah. It was Austin, yeah. right? And we, and we yeah. talked till I think it was like four in the morning. We started to have a really deep conversation about the state of our own agile world as it relates to color representation and what we've done and what we haven't done. And so we got really deep into that and just shared a lot of our histories in how we came to be where we were. And I mean, I think we shared some stuff with each other we probably had never had the opportunity to share because that topic that way hadn't come up before. So we got real we got real kind of deep and extremely vulnerable. And then of course, Trisha being the champion, I nicknamed her Miss Amazonian, decided- Which I'm well, not sure how I feel stuff. about that. <laughs> <laughs> she went and started, well, no, we're gonna have conversations about this after this. I'm gonna make sure stuff happens. And that's great. Um, one of the things I love about her is that, and I think as we're having this conversation, one of the things we wanna encourage people to do is to find alliances that are authentic with people who are different from you. It's not easy to always do that. And I think one of the things that's happening right now is a lot of women of color, specifically African-American women, are getting calls from white counterparts they have never talked to before in their life. And there is definitely empathy coming, but there's a whole lot of defensism coming as well. Like, why are you talking to me now? You never talked to me before. You know, do you know how many people have called me this week? Do you know how many texts I've got from, you know, and I've talked to people from many different corporate genres, right, in different parts of the world who are having this experience. And the problem is, although it's coming from a fabulous place when people are making the calls, it doesn't feel authentic to the person getting the call or getting the text because it's, why are you calling me now? I want to encourage everybody to be courageous and still make the calls, still, still send the emails, still send the text. But I do warn you, don't copy the same text to every black person because they will eventually find out you did that. Yeah. So not in good taste. Don't do that. Make and it genuine. Take the time, send an individual text to individual people so that it is at least coming from an authentic place and they can end up feeling that when all the emotions kind of settle a bitch, you know, for myself, um, where we're highlighting this background to, to help people understand that, we're super comfortable. I've been reaching out a lot, but when I reach out, I'm reaching out just to go, how are you? Like, it's not, Hey, I have a question or can you validate if I've ever, you know, done something to insult you or like what you reach out for is, is really important in this time, especially because of the dynamics Lizzie's highlighting. So we share this history because it does have an impact, right? I'm going to have less defensive reactions with Lizzie in these kinds of conversations that I'm, I might have with somebody I don't know as well, or somebody that we've never had these conversations. So we're acknowledging that we may make it look a little bit easy or just kind of flowing or, or in being able to have some conflict at times of like, well, but what about this? And it won't necessarily always have that same sense in the conversations you're having a team, especially if it's the first time you're having those conversations. So that's kind of our, we must acknowledge <laughs> additional dynamics that are, are happening with this. We wanted the essence of it just to keep going and keep having conversations. And so we started brainstorming a little bit of different topics that we feel that 
is going to come up in the corporate world right away when we start talking about diversity and inclusion and things. And we were just sharing stories of things that had happened in the week to us. And we realized that we both had a similar topic. So the topic that we're going to use for scenarios and talking into and, and starting a conversation in is related to uh, token or tokenism. The practice of making only a perfunctory or symbolic effort to do a particular thing, especially by recruiting a small number of people from underrepresented groups in order to give the appearance of equality in the workforce. So this comes up often for me in the sense of when I start talking to colleagues in terms of just like, hey, we got to explore um, how we're going to increase diversity in, in, in the workplace and stuff, almost instantly, I will get responses and concerns and fears of, well, we don't want just to hire anybody. We want the best. And, and so are they just going to be a token representative? And, and it's not even a bad word for people to seem to say, but it's said often. And I've personally kind of experienced it just even as a female, I'll get it. Um, oh, you're with Agile for All. Are you the token female? Or they'll say it to my colleagues like, oh, is she really good? Or she, you just need a woman on your team, right? Like you just had to have a female on the team. And so there's a lot of different angles of those underrepresented that can have that token dynamic. Um, so I've experienced it myself. It's like the quick question that always comes up for people when we start talking about diversity is this like, well, they don't really earn it. They're not really, they're just, they have to be there. And, and it's, yeah. And it's interesting because you've got the tokenism from the sense of, okay, here's a black person you've now put in the mix, but then to the other blacks who may have been in the environment when they suddenly see what they call a flood happening, right? Then they're like, Oh, well, do you know what we had to do to get here? You just got in on the token card. So it flips internally too inside the race, right? And a lot of people don't realize that. No. I'm thinking to myself right now, can I, but I actually can now think of even situations with gender dynamic too, where I've had women before me that are like, you will pay me respect. You will consider me a mentor. I was here. I earned this. I earned like, I earned this when they weren't letting us in. Right. And we talk about how, even when we look at the female dynamic and you guys will have to excuse us because we will go to the female thing. So sorry guys, we're, we're girls. So, you know what, but when you look at a lot of older females who are in high corporate positions, a lot of them have not really extended a door necessarily to younger women coming in because they had to pay so hard to be where they are, right? So when we talk about that imposter syndrome, they're always like, are they suddenly going to realize I'm a girl and kick me out? And now they're bringing in you girls. Where am I going to sit? So there isn't necessarily from a female standpoint, always that bridge, you know, or even kind of just a rope to say, come on in, come on in. And I see when we get to the younger set, far more open to bring in other women with them. And maybe it's because ultimately the cost has been paid in many senses to give us room at the table. We don't have lots of it, but there's definitely more of it than when we first came about. And then when I go, let's go to the other side of the street, there is the sense that whenever you achieve, as a black person, you have achieved for an entire race. And then when you fail, you have let the entire race down. So you didn't just let down your family and your friends. You let down people you've never met. You have never seen, right? They've never been at your house, but they're still holding you responsible for your success and want to beat you up in essence, right? If you screw it up, that's a lot to be carrying on your shoulders. So when we kind of look at the token, there are so many dimensions if you start spinning it. And as corporate people, especially if you're in diversity, I don't care if you had a degree in diversity and you've been to lots of cultural seminars, you have got to be very cognizant. They haven't been able to correctly teach you 
all the dynamics that people are going to be experiencing. So you can't assume you really know how to deal with it, which is why that collaboration and openness has to be there. And you can't allow yourself, if you're driving this directive in an organization, you have got to keep yourself in a very neutral place so that you can hear and you can see. Otherwise, you'll kind of start going off a script. And the script will cause damage. Like, I definitely feel it as a female coming in, but I don't feel like I'm representing all white women ever. I don't put that weight or I don't have other people putting that weight on me. And so I didn't really ever think about it from from that dynamic of of that pressure and those expectations of the entire... Because even though I can experience it on this hand, I don't experience on feeling like I'm representing an entire gender or entire race with it. Yeah, it's a lot. And you can do a lot of compartmentalism as an individual to look like kind of say, well, this is just about me. It's not about you. But sadly, until the dynamics really shift, it always will be. Whether we choose to acknowledge it or not, it's kind of just is. It's just this. You know so what I mean? that kind of highlights an interesting thing. Um, I learned this week, I have tried very, very hard. I think one of the hard things that when we talk about this is like when somebody starts bringing up tokenism, it just, it's a trigger for me. Right. And, and I have it and I, and it's become a trigger for me because I really have tried to create that space, right. As you, you know, like the seat at the table, as you were mentioning, and, and I've tried to do it in lots of different ways, whether it's, you know, keynote speakers, chairs of organizations, speakers, um, review teams, um, people I'm hiring, just engaging with, helping and doing different things. I'm lucky in the sense that I, I really have internalized that. How do you create space for different perspectives and viewpoints? And I'm, I'm grateful for my friends and family that have helped educate me on why that was beneficial. So when people refer to somebody as a token, or even imply it, it really, really upsets me. But my way of responding to it. Oh, there's that look. I know, I know, because it's embarrassing to have to admit this to you. Um, Because like, I almost feel like I'm letting down the people that did let me in and really have helped educate me. And then I got to go, and I messed up, right? Like, because, but but the reality is, is an epiphany I had just this week, just this week was, I have done a really good job at creating space and providing opportunities um, and doing things and walking my talk with that. Like, I'm not going to renew my second term on the board to give more space for more diverse um, membership in in the Agile Alliance board and things like that. So I'm really good at that part. But when someone would come to me with the, like, let's say this scenario, oh, well, you just had that, you picked that because you were telling to the pressures and you, they weren't the best person. They're just the token, right? Or some level of, of that ridiculousness. My answer was always to highlight, like, let's say Lizzie, it was you and you were going to speak or something. And I had selected you. I'd be like, you don't understand. Like Lizzie is a badass. Like she's her knowledge. She cares. She's invested. Like I would, I would rattle off all these amazing things about you. All true. But I would focus solely on trying to validate you've earned it instead of putting any ownership on the rest of actually including you in whatever role that you now have a seat at the table for. And my way of actually figuring this out and realizing it, and this is so you know embarrassing to kind of admit, and so I can even... Just admitting this to you, it's like making my stomach just go, oh, right. Okay, but don't throw up. But I am pushing my water with something a little bit more potent right now. I just so genuinely believed in the agile creating a collaborative workspace that I basically did this indirect, I'm colorblind kind of approach that after I created the door, I just said it will work out versus, versus realizing that If someone went to my colleague, let's just say Peter Green, okay? Somebody went up to Peter Green and went, it's Trisha the token female on your team. And I overheard Peter like go, and she's this, and she's this, and she's this, and she's this. I would actually be pissed. 
And I went, oh, because he's not complimenting me. He's avoiding the actual discussion that needs to happen of why somebody's assuming I'm just a token person on the team. That realization that I wasn't really addressing the real root issue, nor was I really creating the right focus of ownership of this person succeeding once that space is created. (sighs) Crap. Like, like, and realizing that some work, and I'm proud of that some work, but I definitely have a long way to go in realizing that I wasn't thinking about that as a leader of how do I support you with that? How do I create an environment that engages and, and helps? I was just going, we're agile, we're collaborative. Yeah, but you know, let me, let me share a flip with you now. You, you bring that. I remember um, going back some years, I was uh, serving in a very high role with a particular organization. So I had a lot of hiring power, so to speak. And I'd gone through a whole lot of resumes and the group had brought different people to me and da, 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 et cetera. And there were two I really liked, right? And they kind of, it kind of, the resumes were right. And then I found out they were female and I was like, yay, girl power, cool, let's bring them in. But then I found out they were black and I was like, shh, ooh, don't know if I can do this. Right. Right. Now that may shock so many people on here, but. In the position I was at the time, it's like, am I trying to convert the whole place and make it look black? And I had a colleague who literally said to me, another black colleague, you need to check because you don't want them saying you're trying to turn this whole place black. It wasn't even a thinking. I was just looking for the most qualified people and they rose to the top out of the list of all the people I'd looked at. And yes, I was swayed when I saw they were female because I'm like, yeah, we just need more girl. We need more estrogen in the space. But I took like 10, 12 steps back when I realized there were women who were black. And so I had like an argument with my colleague about it. And then I said, you know what? If I bring them in, I want to know they're going to be respected for their skill set, and then I'm not bringing them into drama. So literally I went and had conversations with the CIO, with the senior director of a, you know, my colleagues and I kind of had some really I had private closed doors conversation. I said, look, I found some really great candidates, but here's the thing. They're black. How are you going to feel about that? Cause I don't want to extend the offer. And then they come in here and you know, they were a little bit shocked. Like this. I said, no, 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 no. We have to have this conversation cause I won't create drama. There's enough drama going on with us trying to do this transformation without extra drama. Now, they kind of reassured me it wasn't going to be a problem. It wasn't going to be an issue. And they did say, but we're glad you came and told us. Yeah. Now think about that. Why should they have even been glad I came and told them? Why did I feel it was necessary to go have that conversation? If I were bringing you in, would I have had that conversation? Hell no. Now it's those kinds of things. And then when they came, I had to sit down with them and I said, look, you guys got to better prove that you're good. You better make sure you don't screw this thing up. So I had the black pressure conversation with these females. They'd earned their right to be there because of their qualification. But the fact that they came in black, I had to have a heavy black conversation. Right. And then there was the pressures of, can you trust them to not undermine you to try to put themselves up? There's all these other nasty things that exist in this space that are not talked about openly outside of what you call the black caucus almost pretty much, but it's understood. These are the challenges that are hitting this token issue. So it's kind of like when I looked on LinkedIn and I was looking for, um, you know, diversity people across organizations, most of the diversity leads were black. And the question is why, right? Are they the only ones you feel understand diversity, right? Or does that make it look better? Is it more acceptable because of what it is you're trying to achieve? So it can feel sometimes like a no win situation. And that's the part I think that had caught me up so much over the past couple of weeks. Cause like if people look at my LinkedIn profile, I just kind of went silent. 
I wasn't posting anything. I wasn't commenting on anything. I really wasn't doing anything unless something egregious got in front of me that was so anti-agile. I needed. It was triggering enough. (laughs) And outside the fact I had to do classes, I was just really cocooning because it was too much pressure that I was feeling and I felt too much responsibility. And I didn't know what step to take, what to say, who to reach out to, who to align to. I had no answers, like no answers. And I realized how much of a control freak I am when I felt I needed to have some outcomes thought of. So that even brings us into bias. I'm a huge outcome bias person. It's what I live by. It's how I've survived and navigated my career. If I do this, then what will happen? Then what will happen? Well, what will that cause? And how that's going to come back and hit me? Or how will that affect my business? Or how will that do this? Or how will that do that? I've constantly been having to think and navigate this. And it's something I've taught my children to do. Don't make a move until you pause and you've thought about it. My oldest son is a very big activist type person, right? And he's posted stuff on his uh, Facebook. And I'm like, take that crap down. What's wrong with you? Do you know when you're looking for a job, they're going to search through your profile and people probably won't hire. It's bad enough your dark skin. Listen to what I just said. That's the conversation I've had with my oldest son. These are the thoughts and these are the actions and these are the things we go through. Now, I'm professional. Hell yes, I am. I'm articulate. Absolutely. And I don't look too bad on the camera. Right? Thank you very much. Um, so I can, you know, I can be out there all the things I'm having to navigate mentally consistently make you insane. But there's a muscle that our community has built that enables us to still navigate and show up. So I can show up and my brain still functioning. I can fire off strategies for you. Although I'm counter strategy, everything I'm saying and how you're going to receive it. So token, get off the table. Stop it. There's way more that comes with that. You are not getting a burden from bringing somebody. And so, and what is worse? I used the, I used this conversation maybe about uh, a week ago with a girlfriend of mine. I said, the hornet's nest right now has been stirred up. So yes, all this stuff is public and now everybody's running to do something, but there's people who are going to, because of the token idea, get seriously pissed off. And create environments where even if you offer people the job, they're not going to want to stay. Well, and I think that was part of the lesson is, is like, in some ways, I, Agile is both this amazing blessing and challenge for me sometimes as a leader when I'm ignorant of that experience and that perspective and that, that knowledge and because I'm like, well, we're, but we're collaborative and we're, you know, like, so it will just, and I took it for granted and yet I can like logically I'm like what I take into considerations with different cultures and different things. And, and, and yet I wasn't really, you don't know what you don't know that extra weight. And yet when I hear it, I can go, yeah, I can think of extra weights I put on myself and doing in different ways. And, and what can I, what should I say? What shouldn't I say as a, you know, as a female. And, and so like just these dynamics that, I, I was so focused on creating space, not whether or not they would want to be in the space. And personally, because of my history and my background and my learning and my growth, I think I've gotten lucky because actually what I do is trying to listen and engage in those conversations, which compensated, but I wasn't teaching other leaders about that. I was just so, so in a lot of ways, what was naturally just part of who I was and what I do with my relationships. And, and we're going to have that conversation. I don't care if it's taboo. I have a colleague that likes to joke that I, like, he's like, do you have a filter? <laughs> like, like, is there one there? And I'm like, yes. And that should terrify you. <laughs> I actually do have a filter. It's not always active, but in general, I actually do. I then just like, I did get into the whole, it's, you know, you shouldn't talk about politics at work. You shouldn't talk and not understanding that I was causing damage by that. Like that I was reinforcing 
the code switching and, 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 and for those that don't know code switching, it's, it's where, and especially in the black community where, but it can be multiple different communities is when you're with the same of your community or your um, social group, you will act differently. Talk differently is where it originated, but like act differently as also in things mm-hmm. than when you're in a mixed group with things. And, and we can all, if y'all stop and just think, we can all think of examples of that across the board. But I, I was playing into the, almost the, we're colorblind once we're all at the table. And that's actually opposite of the very thing of why we want diversity is I want that specific experience. I want that viewpoint. I want those things. I can teach skills. Mm-hmm. I can't teach what you just taught me. But you wouldn't know, right? So we wouldn't know how to navigate that because like you said, in the codex, nobody's going to let you know that code. But every colored person in the room is going to know the code. So it's kind of like a classic somebody, I had a conversation, I think it was, was it it was like Monday, I think, with somebody. And they said to me, do you realize I've gone into places and once people have felt comfortable with me, they've asked me some really weird questions. People don't get offended or shocked or whatever. Just understand this. Okay. Educated female and not as old as me. So she's probably about eight, nine years younger than me. Okay. And I'm up there closer to the fifties way. said, somebody asked her, so is it true? Do you have a tail? They asked her that question. Legit. And it was somebody she considers to kind of be a friend, do you know what I mean, who got close to her. But they asked her that question. Now, I'm not telling you about something that happened in 1958, 1919, 1920, right? Tell about something that happened in our modern technology, innovation space time. Now, that goes to show you, okay, that there's still so many codexes happening within communities. Well, those are stereotypical biases, right? Like, um, Right? That's what they are. So it's kind of like the classic, which I'll call it, is the angry black female. Is it really an angry black female? Or is it somebody who's trying to stand up for themselves? And when they're standing up for themselves, they're not just standing up for themselves in this moment. They're standing up in themselves for all the moments they've ever experienced, all the mo- moments their mother ever experienced, all the mother- moments their grandmother experienced, all the moments their great-grandmother experienced, all the moments their brothers experienced. They're standing up for themselves because I earned my right to be here with you. And now you have the audacity to say that. I'll give you a, a classic. One that when I first kind of moved over here to the US and I was at a really major client, and having a conversation and I was talking and at the time my British accent was a lot stronger and he said is that real and I was like I'm sorry is what real like the way you're talking or you're, you're you like you what would he call it Julie Uptown somebody something brown who I don't know who the bloody hell that was right and I like looked at him like did he really just what the hell did he really just say that and then I turned super duper British snob on his ass. Like I just switched in seconds. The difference was the way I articulated it because of my British upbringing was real calm, real smooth, right? Cause that's culturally programmed into me. Okay. Now, had I been born here, my response wouldn't have been like that. It wouldn't have been snobby and snotty, right? It would have been downtown. Oh, really? So all the years I went to school, stayed up and studied to be the best in my class, to have these grades, you're now just saying it's not. Yes, you probably want to fight at that point. But if somebody else responded that way, it would have been okay for them to defend their place, defend their opinion. Well, and I think the defensive strategy is the the thing that comes up Frequently, I think it's part of what I see. It's natural. It's human reactions. When something's unpleasant and how we, how we have defensive strategies can differ. Some of it can be rationalization. Some people can go to really intellectual place. Some can go to like, Oh no, (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) And and it's like fight or flight um, in, in some of those dynamics, you know, and I try to respect that of also is like, I'm kind of an odd bird in that, 
when I hear something like, like even telling the story of like what I got wrong, right. I don't tend to go to a place when I'm in an unpleasant, like I did something wrong, like in that fight mode, kind of like, that's not my defensive strategy in that one. Mine is more, um, I go to a negativity bias. I go to like, I'm a horrible person. Like I'm the worst, like I go to this, like, and then the problem that can happen in conversations is if I go to that place, I've noticed what will happen is if then somehow the conversation then starts going, you're like trying to make me feel better versus what we were actually talking. Right. And so, so understand like for those that are observing, like there's an element of where, you know, people, when they hear stuff like that, like I hear you say someone told you like, or someone, you know, you a tale, like, like I can have all these like emotional reactions, but the reality is, is it's not about my emotional reactions right in that moment, because it wasn't said to me. And what, you know, as, as you're having these conversations at work, the more that we can facilitate people having that initial like reaction and moment of like, are you, who do I need to talk to? Who is that person? I want to know who that person is right, right. now. <laughs> like, or the other person that if they feel like it is them that might go into a complete shell of like, I'm the worst person on the face of this earth. We need to let people have that initial reaction, whatever it might be, whether it is angry and yelling or like, and then going, okay, now how do we get back towards what do we want to do about this after this? Right. And, and, and I think it's important when we think about that coaching skill of holding space. Mm-hmm. When you're holding space, like you said, it's not always comfortable space, right? But coaching doesn't say the space is going to be comfortable. It just says hold the bloody space and allow the feelings that are in the space to be acknowledged that that's the feeling, that's the feeling, that's the name of that feeling. Okay, we've articulated that feeling. And then when people have had the ability to breathe, where can we take it now and facilitate an outcome that's going to help growth? Because that, that's the big thing why one of the reasons I stick with Scrum above other frameworks, right, is that whole idea of practicing consistent transparency. Being transparent is not easy. And it's not something that somebody's going to like reward you for. Oh, you're so transparent. That's so lovely nobody's really going to do that or take your paycheck up because you're transparent, right? And the only person who's been able to make money off vulnerability is Brené Brown, okay? Nobody else is making money off vulnerability. Just, just, let's just put that out there. So, (laughs) it's not necessarily a thumbs up. It's it's like a we we should do a topic on microaggression too, um, microaggression stuff. But it's it's like like the compliment that's not really going to be like you're really open. (laughs) We know we had it in the value set, but I don't think we quite meant it was supposed to be that open because your openness is making us feel very uncomfortable, right? but we're taught that for work, right? Like I, I was taught that don't cry at work. Don't talk about race at work. Don't, right. Like I was taught these very, like, don't, you know, and including gender, like don't acknowledge you're a female, like don't, especially as a computer science grad who graduated with three females in my entire graduating class and in computer science and you're, we're taught these things. And so the problem is, is then it feels like, I, I mean, I know when I was first starting to have these conversations, it just, I was like, I was terrified I was going to say something wrong at all times. And I think one of the things that I highlight to people now most, because when they hear that I can, when I can engage in these conversations, like, yeah, I feel bad often during a conversation or I feel sad right? Like, or angry at dirt. Like I just got really angry during that conversation. Like, I just like, I want to, I still want to know who, (laughs) and, and like, I can, I'm gonna have all these things and I'm gonna say stupid things. I I don't even wonder if I'm gonna say stupid things, but it's a matter of, can I get past that first reaction to actually listen, because if my goal and the reason I'm having the reaction is because I want to collaborate together, I want to have this relationship, then I should care and invest beyond that first reaction. And so I, I tend to try very hard to 
acknowledge my own, right? And then go, what's the bigger purpose or goal that I'm trying to do? Like, it's not in that moment, it's not about this, or it's not a right. And, and I, it's not always easy. Cause then you just feel like, but I'm trying. Like I literally have felt those words when someone was like, we haven't done enough for diversity and agile Alliance. And, and I will literally like, I will go and, and I'm being fully transparent. I'll go internally. I absolutely, like I did this and I did this and I like, like, and like, I can feel like, and I don't have all the weight of like, I'm doing this for an entire race. Like I feel it in terms of like, I'm so invested in my friends and family and the people I can't like that. I am doing it for all you're like, like in a different kind of way, not at the same level of what you're talking about, but it's like, but it's still your community. It's my community. Right. The people you brought into your community of care. Those are the people you're doing these things for. Right. So it's like us having this conversation. We're doing it for the community of care. We want to say, okay, the people we care about, we want stuff to be different for them. And we know if we put ourselves out here, maybe we can make it different for them. We don't know absolute. It, but will, it will make a difference kind of thing. Because the hard part is, is does it suck? Yeah. I mean, Lizzie, I'll tell it like... I'm sitting in the vent and, and I will own that. I sat in there going, I totally agree with everything you're saying. And I feel like shit right now because I feel, and, and it was totally selfish and it was totally not what the point was, but it just felt like everything I had been trying to do and I was working on wasn't being acknowledged, which is crazy, right? Like it wasn't like they weren't talking to me, like they were talking to the room and I actually agreed we need to do more. We need to do like, like it all. But I think everybody, I think it's really great that you've brought that up. I think there's so many people who sit in the, sit in the rooms, right? And they think, well, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't. I've done opposite. Look, I can show you what I've done opposite. I can show you what I've done. I've but done. It's, I do it. it's, I do it. the, it's the collective change that's needed demands that the collective at the same time moves forward in a direction to make a real true impact because we're not saying ripples don't count because they do right a ripple counts on a ripple count we know this but when we're trying to shift a ship shift the system it's got to be such a heavy move that can dislodge the clogs from consistently turning if it doesn't get pushed out it will find a way. It may jump a couple of steps, but the clogs are still going to keep turning in that system the same way. What I find has helped me most with that, because I am human, right? Like when you're doing a lot of work, you want to be appreciated <laughs> in different ways, right? What has helped me the most to kind of counter that or get out of it as quickly as when I find myself just still naturally going there is, is I reframe it a little bit. And two things I like remind myself, they're not talking to me, necessarily. They're talking to the system. They're talking to the whole, right? They're also not saying nothing has been done. We have a tendency to like pendulum swing to the extremes of things internally, as well as just in conversation. And I'm like, they're not up there going, nothing has been done ever, right? They're saying we need to do more. And so like, if I reframe it a little bit, I remind myself that I'm not trying to be like a negativity bias is a big thing where you're just like, you can focus on the negative and just really, mm-hmm. I, and I can burrow into that, but like it's what to go. They're not speaking just to me Two, If I actually feel myself going, but I don't do that or I don't, then I should be going, yes. How do I get more people to do that or not do that? Right. Not, being defensive over whether or not I'm doing it is going, I agree. How do I do more? Right. Like you're and and then the third is, is, is what you're talking, you know, like you were highlighting is like the bigger picture right now. It is not about any couple of these ripples or these small little things. It's having this larger conversation. And so that's helped me to reframe it at times. And when I've talked with other, especially white people and, you know, that is a common reaction especially even with the tokenism like dynamic, because then they're like, well, we shouldn't even have to talk about whether or not we need to increase diversity because we're already doing things. I'm like, no, no, that's not. <laughs> then the quick excuse is just, well, then, the, then it's just token. And it's like, uh, no, we, but all that's just defensiveness versus looking at that bigger system. 
It is. It is. It's, and it's when you talked about that, I thought about um, a company I worked at some time ago, and that I hadn't paid attention to. I was the only one there. I realized I hadn't paid attention to it because somebody brought to brought to my attention that they had met me there as I was kind of um, exiting. And I couldn't have a full recall. And then they told me about the troubles that they'd had. And then I paused and I went, oh, God, was that what was going on? <sighs> was I free? Because, <laughs> yeah, I was the only one there, wasn't I? <gasps> and it was like it hit me afterwards. So I'd been there pushing along and trying to make change. And you know what I mean? And I'd had some very interesting conversations with people. But I just thought it was just the people, you know, they just damaged people. They can't help you. You can't help the people stop being so damaged. Not that they were having a hard time digesting that it was coming out of my mouth. Wasn't, you know, and that I was the only one there. I, but again, that comes back from the girl me, right? So I'm used to being the only girl. So I kind of put it on, well, when there's more girls, well, it's not, no. Look how many girls we got here. But then you do have to sometimes be cognizant of, okay, you're the girl, but you're the only black girl here. And that makes things different, right? Shouldn't make things different, but it actually does. So we are learning that in the space that is getting ready to come up, we are going to have to be better at seeing and stop pretending seeing the color in the room or the lack of the color in the room. Like we're going to have to, because you see, if you don't notice there's a stone, you're going to trip over it and do damage, hurt yourself, knock yourself out. So we've got to get good at seeing it and then saying, okay, this is what it is. What can I do about it? What can I help others do about it? And how can the system here, because everybody's a system within a system, how can the system that I have influence in do something about this? Have we created a safe space? We are fabulous, and this may offend a few people, so I'm sorry, right? But we are at I mean, fabulous. We've gotten this far sure into this before we offended somebody. Comfortable, okay? We will create safe spaces for animals all the time and take animals away from people who are not creating safe spaces for animals. Yet we will not take that time to do that for the rest of our human race. And if we don't start paying attention to the fact that people who come into the workplace are humans first. And as agilists, as we talk about all the time, it's the human working with technology that makes the difference. Okay. Yeah. You've got to pay attention to the bloody humans. The humans who are coming into the workplace are coming in with different experiences and sometimes we're damaging the humans. Yet you have the audacity to ask for innovation. A damaged human cannot give you innovation because their creative space shuts down. So you will notice the organizations that are having the most innovation are going to have a lot of more diversity in them and comfortable diversity, right? Versus uncomfortable diversity. And I've experienced probably more uncomfortable diversity than I have comfortable diversity. And there's a difference between the two. So the question is, when you leave this discussion with us, what can you do? to make diversity comfortable for the people who are diverse in the midst. So they can be their authentic selves and you can get the very best of who they are out of them. And I think that's why the whole concept of token for me now is just completely like, I'm not even going to like, I don't even want to, I just don't think it can be true because I think we have to redefine best, right? And not just, and value because there's an element of, of there have been so many times that I didn't have the skills or the experience and I was still incredibly 
valuable to the team because they were including me for my viewpoints, for my experience, for my background, for my abilities to learn and grow. And, and actually having that differed viewpoints and perspectives and what you're talking about with those things is actually being able to see the value. And so in, in those cases, if you do that inclusion, you value wisdom of the crowd, you value these concepts that are in agile of collaboration and working with those things, then the reality is, is the only thing we weren't doing very well was actually acknowledging that there were more differences of opinions and wisdom of the crowd that we were trying to pretend didn't really exist. Like we right. can't acknowledge race at workplace and things like that versus going, no, we need to acknowledge truly wisdom of the crowd and the diversity because that's what value is. And if, if you take it from that perspective, there is no such thing as you're not going to hire the best person. They're the best person because they're the, the system of what's needed, period, regardless of even skill sets for me in, in that regard. So then tokenism just cannot apply if we're always doing inclusiveness and respecting a whole person human being, human decency, and acknowledging that dynamic, then there, then tokenism can never actually, it doesn't matter what counts there are, what number of people. It's a, a non-issue at that point because the issue was never, you're just hiring people for the sake of hiring people. The issue was always, are we including the people we give the space for and really valuing their unique value and contribution? And that's been the biggest enlightening dynamic for me of why I'm going to have better ways to engage in these conversations at work about, well, is this really the best person? Because instead of me going, here's all these awesome things about Lizzie, here's what our team is missing right now. Right. So we go back to our principle number 12. At regular intervals, we pause. And we inspect and figure out, have we been doing this well? Have we not been doing this well? Now, what are the action points that we're going to take to make this better? So it's not going to help if everybody just keeps going into the negative bias of, oh, my God, that everybody's had enough of, oh, my God. Let's now say what we can do together. You know what I mean? And make things forward. Now, I had to ask myself the question. I had a very heart to heart with uh, somebody close to me and they asked me, are you sure you want to put your face out there on this whole thing around race? Because most people look at you as kind of a neutral thing. Are you sure this is what you want to do? And I paused and then I thought about my kids, right? I thought about my granddaughter. And I thought, well, if I just stay in my safe space, what the hell am I doing? I can't do that. I can't just stay in my safe space. Now, is it possibly going to mess me up? Maybe. But I own a Black-owned business that for years we never put our face on so that we could get business. We never told people we owned the company. So they just think we were workers of the company. right? Because we didn't want to deal with what we knew is the truth of the current society and system as is. No, as is, not saying it's going to change, but current state as is. So it was a coach of ours who said, screw it, put your face on. If they don't want to do business with you, then screw them. And that's what made us start to put our face on stuff, right? So for years, there was no face. There was just the name, just the ego everywhere, right? Then the faces showed up, stating who we were, and we started to do more putting our faces out there. When we looked at the numbers, data, now let's look at data. When we looked at the data, we noticed the dynamics had shifted. So more people of color were coming to anything to do with Devon, yet my numbers were still staying blended, right? Why is that? Perception, right? This person seems more intimidating. They're the uncomfortable black. This person, ah. Okay, they're black, but this is You know, I've had the classic people say to me, oh, but Lizzie, you're different. Huh? What do you, what do you mean? <laughs> what? Different how? I don't, I don't understand. But I've had that said to me countless times. So the question we have to ask now is, 
in our memory, what are we choosing to remember? What are we choosing to forget? Now, sometimes you have to take away all the memory biases because God, there's like what, 28 memory biases? Yeah, it's like fading effect. There's all sorts right? of things. But there's just whole, so many of them. But you have, we have got to be able to remember stuff holistically in a Switzerland-like space. So be neutral in seeing it all. And then being able to make a conscious, intentional decision on what you're going to do. Don't come into a negative on it. But, okay, what are we going to do so that our group memory in 10 years will be different from what the group memory is today? Right. That's so when we look at when we do retrospective, so what's great? What do we want to continue? What do we want to stop? Right. I like to go, what do we want to innovate? What do we want to adapt and make changes to to make things better? So it's on us all to become extremely creative. One of the fabulous things, and this is gonna make me sound very morbid, but I'm sorry, COVID did this thing where it brought everybody to pure humanity, colorless humanity right? Here's how you live your life. Here's about what you treasure. Here's where you put your focus. Refocus, inspect and adapt your life. Then towards the end in COVID, suddenly had a color system put on it. Well, blacks get more COVID than all the shit, right? That happened. But the beginning point brought people back to humanity. Let's look after the human race, but it shouldn't take tragedy to cause human kindness and caring that should be our norm and especially in our agile community right if nobody else gets human kindness right shit we're supposed to get that stuff right and if we're getting it wrong we're supposed to inspect and adapt as often as is necessary to get it right and it's gonna be hard like even hearing like that like i I want to come through the screen and hug you, right? Like I, I, it sucks. It, and because I do acknowledge, I don't get that same experience. Like I, I looked at COVID from a kind of a different dynamic of other things. And, and yet when you say it, I'm like, yo, that was true, but it's so not part of my day-to-day experiences that it's, I don't always see it. This is why I say, I know I'm going to say stupid things at times. And one of the tips that I will also give is, is when you're having these conversations, besides trying to not make it about you is, is also don't try and fix it either right in that moment. Right. And so like, if I had come back with Lizzie, well, here's what I think you should do, right? Like she ain't talking to me again next time. And I, and especially for us type A people that want solutions and stuff. Make it better. Yeah. Like we want to fix it right away. And, and we do want to act. We do want to inspect the debt, but sometimes the very act is just purely listening and just saying an acknowledgement of that fucking sucks. And oh, I'm sorry. And I made it almost the whole time. <laughs> you almost there. made it. I did it. I almost made it. is <laughs> like the dynamic with this is, is, is really being in that pain with that person too. As, as you said earlier, uh, Lizzie is holding the space. Wow. And for me, one of the ways that I do that, actually, we just did it, is like, I will laugh. We tell the most inappropriate jokes to each other. It's not even funny. <laughs> but in some ways, you kind of need that self-care too. Because I think one of the biggest fear factors of token and why people respond to it as strongly as a lot of times when I really dig, 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 dig in, is this fear of, what well, I'm going to lose. Like, I'm going to lose something if we do this. And, and, and that really just isn't, accurate in any form or fashion with those things. We're already in competitions for jobs as it is. And the fact of the matter is, is um, like somebody went, well, affirmative action. And I'm like, you know, who, who gained the most from affirmative action policies was white women. Like it actually had more effect of white women being hired than any other underrepresented dynamic. And so if in that moment, when you're connecting with these things and someone's willing to share, listen, just listen they're sharing something important and painful and, or just vulnerable, just be there. You don't have to fix it right in that. Like you, you, they may ask you to come together later 
they may come and ask and want to collaborate. Like that's and actually ended up being what happened with us in, in terms of what we could do and, and engage going forward. But right in that moment, they just need you to be present versus solution. I personally have to laugh a lot to get rid of some of my bias reactions, getting out of my, it's not always appropriate. Again, I know, <laughs> um, but I, it's, it is a defensive strategy and mechanism for me is, is to crack a joke or to laugh because otherwise I can feel everything coming up in me. And that's something that I, I really want to encourage, especially fellow African-Americans is be careful when everything is happening not to allow it to begin to sit in what I call the seat of your soul and become bitter. We have got to, and in fact, I've just taken on a few new mentees. Um, and one of the things I'm going to be teaching them about is techniques to have boldness without bitterness. So replace your bees because if not, you make yourself sick, right? Physically sick. You're going to, you know, inflammation, bitterness, ugh, it just does stuff to you. And I think one of the things when you look at some of the movements that have happened over the years, they've always had almost a, a Christian dynamic to them. And I used to criticize that mentally, not necessarily verbally outside, but I used to kind of criticize it mentally. But I realized one of the powers in that was that it was creating still a safe space for people at the soul level. Because if when you're quiet with yourself, you can still feel inside peace you can get up to do another day. But when you can't find that peace on the inside anymore, you can't do another day. You really can't, right? And the depression and the oppression in the sense of what's the point of even trying will take over because you'll look at the mass and all the memories of what's happened and it doesn't seem like enough change happened during that time when you think other things have changed and so many other people got this, well, you know, there's all that stuff that comes. So I think it's important for us to be there together. And in the laughter thing, I would suggest to a lot of people go on YouTube or Netflix because most people have Netflix and watch Cat Williams. Very kind of inappropriate comedy. To say, we're probably going to get emails like, about that. Oh, right? Jesus. And he'll talk about some things, the way he talks to the crowd that are going to let you in a lot to the black community to understand some of the things that are said to each other, the way we feel and, you know, the words that are used amongst us and understanding. One of the things he always says is every black person is a white friend, a really good white friend. And every white person is a really good black friend. And if nothing else, it's to have an in-home translator. Somebody you could call it. Go, Somebody said this to me. What the hell does that mean? What am I supposed to do about that? Keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. Back away slowly. Right, so just for somebody to enable you to be able to navigate, because laughter is necessary. It, it it just is, right? A really good friend of mine sent out, and she's a minister as well. She sent out this thing of this little black dog and a little white cat, and the white cat had grabbed onto the black dog, and every time the black dog tried to move, it was pulling it around. And she goes, "It was hilarious," but when she shared it, all the connotations that came around it. She was criticized. How could you possibly say that? She wasn't trying to represent anything else than this is hilarious what this cat is doing to this dog. And it was funny. So you need to be able to laugh. Guys, if you can't find some laughter, I don't know how we're going to survive because it's not going to get better quick. This is not, we don't have a quick fix, which is why we've called this Let's Continue the Conversation. As we're burying through this and wading through this, we can be doing it together, right? You guys will have an outlet of people who are going to talk about this. And one of the things that Trisha's going to talk about is some tips we're going to make available to people and make ourselves available to help you with your teams and your organizations to be able to navigate this well. This journey, because that's what it is, this journey is something we're now on. And we got to commit to the time this journey is going to take. I am very hopeful that this journey, major progress will be seen before I'm dead and in my grave. I'm, I'm like, I'm really hopeful on that. You know, knock wood and all the rest of it. Right? So I'm really hopeful of that. And that's why we're here. We're here to give you hope, not to give you doom and gloom. Yeah. 
and some of that hope is going to be in self-care. I'm agnostic, so I'm not, I'm not religious. I actually find the care and exercise, right? Like, and just disconnecting for a little bit. If you've had a really hard day, this might not be the conversation you try and have right in that moment and, and different things as you're going forward. How we're going to approach this kind of going forward, or at least what we're thinking is we're going to do, we're going to pick another topic that is likely to going to come up in these conversations. We're going to pick a topic and just kind of highlight some of the common, you know, just like we did today, some of the common things we're going to hear related to it, some of the experiences we have. We're not going to keep these super structured as like these facilitated conversations because when you're having them, it's going to be messy and it's going to go over the different places. And we want to um, share that and looking for other ways to help people with that. As Lizzie said, the hope is hopefully that, you know, you got a little bit of an insight into a, some information on this concept, but also just tips along the way, as we were talking in terms of things you can do as you're having the conversations. And the most important was, it was definitely, I definitely agree. Please watch cat. (laughs) I'm a big cat fan. We'll probably get emails about that. People will probably watch cat and email us. We want to thank all of you for, I almost want to say humoring us. I don't, um, but like, uh, we're, we're figuring this out as we go and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to have, so as you have ideas or thoughts or comments, feel free to message us and let us know personally, Lizzie. Thank you. Yeah. You'll see me on LinkedIn. If you do a search for your agile lady, I'll pop up. Facebook, I'll pop up under your Agile Lady. All my social profiles are just like your Agile Lady. So you'll find me if you want to send me a DM or something. And we're open to what can be perceived and labeled as positive and negative feedback. It's just feedback, right? If you think it's negative, that's fine. We'll find a way to inspect and adapt around it to make ourselves better for everybody else. Just feel free to, you know, to chat. And if there's topics you would like to see discussed in this arena and you don't feel confident to um, discuss Throw it at us, right? We'll we'll have a go. We'll probably try it. Now, just because the episode is over doesn't mean the conversation has to stop. Come find us on Instagram at Let's Continue the Conversation and let us know what you thought of today's episode and what takeaways you're leaving with. And don't forget to help us spread the word. Screenshot the episode, add it to your Insta stories and tag us at Let's Continue the Conversation. You can always find the links and resources mentioned in the show over on Let's Continue the Conversation.com. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you next time.